0: podcast i'm ryan from Cultsploitation.com and i'm joined with my co-host martin how's it going we're doing pretty well um i think we missed a week we, i think we were supposed to to uh have a episode out last week and we just didn't get a chance to do it so apologies to everybody that we didn't actually do the episode last week um but we're back this week with a new one and we had been promising it for quite a while hardly quitting the birds Prey. yeah that one we have been promising as well but we we did not go out to see that one. Wait, The Emancipation of Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Yeah, the long-ass title that they have. No, we don't have that one on the show today. Um, f- we're fortunate enough to not have had to go out and see that one this time. Um, we might do, I don't know, if it's still in theaters, we might do that for the next episode.
1: Not sure. <laughs> pretty sure with how terrible reviews it was getting and the terrible box office it was getting, it might have, yeah. DC might have pulled it, it out, be. you know. It could be. Uh, no,
0: instead, we're um, doing the, uh, the Oscar-winning... Parasite that we have talked about doing for a little while now, um, we were going to do it, and then we did child's play instead and got pushed back and back, but we're doing it today um so we're doing uh pong Jun Ho's parasite um most notable for winning the uh best picture at the academy awards, uh also you know notable for Donald Trump speaking out against it, even though he probably either hasn't seen it or didn't understand it or couldn't read it uh What do you mean? I gotta read when I'm watching the movie. One of those. My guess would be all three. (laughs) Um, so you know, obviously, Parasite, um, big film right now. A lot of people are talking about it. Um, you know, and and a lot of times we try to shy away from talking about films like that. People are a lot of people are talking about because you know, in some some ways, it's like how much can you say about a film that hasn't already been said before. But in the case of Parasite, it's um. You know, it's, it's so recent that we thought we might might as well give it a shot, see what we can pull out of here and talk about. You know, give it the old Blood and Black
1: Rum podcast
0: spin. So we're going to do our best on
1: this one. Just, we're, You know what? Our dreams going to finally come true next year. We're just fully going to rip off Tim Heidecker and have our On Cinema Oscar, you know, party. Do a live show for yeah. the Oscar party? Yeah.
0: Or, you know, yeah, or we could just rip them off in general and just pretend like we know what we're talking about. Just do the whole thing like we pretending like we know what we're talking about, but we
1: we actually don't. That might maybe that's how people feel now. You, you said that with some certitude that you think we know what we're talking about. <laughs> and and now we have to prove it. I got news for you. Now we have yeah. Mm,
0: now we probably have shallow. It. Um so parasite from um Pong Jun Ho. Um big big this year, but uh, Pong Joon-ho has actually been uh, a fairly um, prolific director. Um, he's done a f- quite a few films, uh, Korean films, that uh, have been um, well-received. Um, one of the ones that um, i known about, I actually have not seen, but I do, I, ha- I literally have the film, is Seafog. He uh, wrote that film. Um, I've gotten it on Blu-ray. I don't know why I haven't watched it yet. I really should, should do that. So that one resonates with me. Um, stands out. That I've heard of um, he's also done um the host which was a giant kaiju film uh, you know about a giant monster rising from the sea uh, didn't see that one either but uh, that one was on a lot of people's radar uh, back in 2006 when it came out um, you know not not high class cinema but certainly fun monster movie and then the big one that he had was 2013 uh, snow piercer which um, I think was something that people that didn't even really know about Korean cinema actually heard about um, you know, in twenty thirteen that was a huge one. They actually were gonna do an American remake of it. I don't know if that's still in process or not, but uh uh Snowpiercer was one where that really put Pong Jun Ho on the American film scene. Um and so in twenty seventeen he released Okia. I don't really know that film, I've never even heard of it before. Um so that one kind of seems like it fell on deaf ears. But 2019's Parasite was when um Pong Jun-ho really struck it big. Uh, in america getting recognized for the academy awards um and winning best picture and the one thing that i find kind of ironic is that the academy nominating parasite and not realizing you know just how ironic it is to have this uh high class upper echelon uh you know group of people nominating a film uh that's about a rich versus poor
1: dynamic yeah the irony is not lost but again, as we were saying before, we podcasted. It's a very you know academy uh, thing to do
0: to nominate,
1: to nominate these films that you know make you know have them win best picture that fall on like deaf ears. Yeah, know? things and that they they have like
0: like Dances with Wolves, and and it's also it, to me sometimes Cra- a Crash would be another one. Crash, yeah, Crash, The a uh, very uh, racially diverse Crash. Um the thing that really stands out to me about when they nominate and you know actually pick these films too is that um it's almost like a pat on the back from them they're like look at us look at us recognizing these films that peons will certainly
1: enjoy and relate to we're we're great i don't think it's that i think it's just to be like like look how look how artistic and like thought provoking we are mm. like Look, you know, like, look at the works that we, you know, give to the masses. Because, again, like, most of the films that get nominated are, you know, what we call Oscar bait, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, so you have, like, films like The King's Speech winning, very dense, you know, films that, like, who went out to run out and saw The King's Speech in, like, 2008, 2009 when it came out and ended up winning Best Picture? I'm sure nobody did. Still haven't seen it. Yeah, I think... um, And the only reason I was, like, I think, the only reason I was even tempted to see it was because I'm like... Colin Firth? No, no, because it's historic, like, you know, historical, and um, it was nominated for Best Picture. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, other than that, like, so unless, like, you're, like, a cinema buff, a lot of the films, you know, especially before they made the field so gigantic now, where they have a dearth of films, Mm -hmm. you know, was there, like, 12 nominated this year? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, now they just have so many that you're... Because you're like, it's so hard to choose. Let's just just choose them all.
0: I just, after seeing the film, I I love that it seems to spit in the face. And
1: they were giving out, I think I was reading an article, they were giving out like $5,500 gift bags. Who were? The Academy? Yeah, like, if you were there, you oh, got, like, yeah. like a $5,500 gift bag or something like that. Sweet. You know, full of... Or it might have been even more than that, but, Michael you know... Kors and... Yeah, it was just, like, ridiculous shit. Stupid opulence. Yeah.
0: Yeah. that that's And that's what I'm talking about, that it just is really funny that,
1: you know, what this film is about and what it stands for, and then... Well, the best part, too, was because they always, like, you know, it was great, too, with Ricky Gervais saying, like, don't come up here and fucking, you know, get on your soapbox and... Talk about all your not bullshit. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. And then you got fucking Joaquin going out there, Joaquining, <laughs> you know, about some vegan bullshit. And then when uh, Pong Hu goes up there, he's just like, I like films. I like to make films. Thank you for giving me the award. Yeah, thanks. And, and then
0: be, <laughs> thanks for being inspired by all the other directors that were, that were uh, not, nominated as
1: well. Not letting you know you know, letting his work speak for itself. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you can't go up there and proselytize if you want, but I think at this point, a lot of people are fucking sick and tired of whether you be left or right leaning in Hollywood, what you have to kind of add to the, it's
0: like, I think the most, yeah, I think, I think w- what you, especially as a director and a writer as a punk, Ho is that you, yeah, you do, you let your work speak for it. Um, it would have been kind of funny if he noted the irony in the whole mm-hmm. situation, but uh, <laughs> you know, he, like, I think he was, he's just happy to, be, uh, he's like, no, I don't want to lose my gift bag. <laughs> That's right. And and, and he was going to hit the bar, too, so yeah. um, he didn't want to be uh, shunned from there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, without even speaking about the film, you know, you can see that its recognition comes from relatability from um, all kinds of people, all kinds of cultures, uh, not just South Korea, where it was made, but... Um, you know, it, it resonates with America as well. That with the same issues that we're going through right now, um, and uh, just you know, it just makes sense that in 2019, Parasite would be the one that would sort of take everybody by storm and uh, really be a film to watch and you know diagnose and take apart and just look at the moving
1: pieces and see what's what it's offering to cinema. You well, I think in an internet and you know viral camp, you know, word of mouth mm-hmm. by the public definitely helped yeah because again sure. if you didn't have that kind of like hey you should go see this movie mm-hmm. there's okay. no way there's no way in hell it would have gotten you know the recognition like it probably would have won best foreign film but right. it wouldn't have even come close probably to the you know best picture just because oh it's just some little korean film and, and
0: especially like it's run at uh various um film festivals as well mm-hmm. it really helped it uh with people who are just going to those film festivals seeing the movie and they're like bringing it back they're like you have you know you have to see parasite it's 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 amazing and then again i like i said Snowpiercer as well helped with pong Jun ho's name credit um but definitely people going out there and seeing it and then bringing it back and saying this is how good it is you should you should watch it uh really helped out all right let's take a break real quick um we will pause for an advertisement And come back and talk about some beer that we got on the show. Stay with us. So um, there's a couple things that we can talk about on this episode for beer. Uh, We do have some new beer that's on the show. Uh, We could also talk about the Saratoga Beer Fest that we just went to this uh, past weekend. Um, So I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to discuss the beer that we have right now? Or should we just do the beer fest and talk about that? We can talk about beer fest. Okay, we'll do beer fest. So we went to Beer Fest. We do this every year. I think we've done this for like the past um, eight or nine years, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, I have the glasses to prove it because they give you a new glass each year. So I I'm sure like that four. if I needed to, I could go back and count each different glass that I have. Yeah, I've broken like four of them. Yeah. <laughs> I still have them all. So um, I wish. Well, a couple of them like other people like broke, but was just,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think yeah. I got like five of them. Yeah. So we do this every year. We go uh, with friends and uh, hang out at this Beer Fest and just have, you know... 15 16 different beers over the course of four um three hours and uh we get a lot of different breweries that come out um some local some bigger names like rogue and uh dogfish head that come and uh just dish out their their beers uh sometimes they're in like a cooler keg that they pour from uh sometimes they literally have kegs that are in a um a tap and uh just a really fun time that we have um trying out things that we wouldn't normally try out um like buying for ourselves for example um founders was there and they had their kbs espresso on,
1: um on tap there which by the way kudos to them for bringing five different beers mm-hmm. and having them all on tap yeah it's great one thing that's got kind of get, grinded my gears over the past couple of years they've uh more and more, of these breweries are becoming shoddy and just shipping, you know, having cans and then yeah. pouring them out instead of, yeah. you know.
0: No, I agree. That is, it's called
1: American tap. That's that's
0: true. I, I I also do not like it when they just bring a a bunch of cans or something because you could do that any any time. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I could buy a can. I and expect do that a, if that I go test to,
1: then. I expect if I go to like my local beer beverage center and you're like, hey, we're sampling this. Crack it open, and try it. Not right. you know. Right. Right. I agree. But
0: yes, you're right. Founders um, did bring five different beers. And one of them, which I was very surprised that they actually brought on tap, was the KBS Espresso. Uh, and if you've seen KBS Espresso in, in stores or anything like that, you'll know a four-pack runs you about $24.
1: Any um, of their KBSs run, Yeah, you know. pretty
0: much any of those. Any The CBS, the KBS, the KBS Espresso, any of those, about $24 for a four-pack. So that's not really something that I normally show out the money to buy just for myself uh, for a four-pack. So I wanted to try it, and so I got it there, the KBS Espresso. So it's a a chance for us to try stuff that we wouldn't otherwise go out of our way to try. And uh, I want to – I guess I'll focus on the things that I like the most there. Um, The KBS Espresso was okay. I I like the KBS more than the KBS Espresso. I felt that the coffee flavor was not super pronounced, so i I would have I would like it to have a little bit more coffee flavor to it, um, but still not too bad. Um, my favorites actually tended to be more of the gozets that were on tap. Um, I'm not a huge sour fan, but uh, I was tasked with finding some great sours there um, by my wife, who loves sours and couldn't make it because we have kids now, and uh, so I tried a whole bunch of sours for her and. Um, it was just strange that I, the ones that I liked the most at the show were sours. Um, one of them was um uh Two Roads, which is a, a fairly local brewery to us. Uh Two Roads, they make a tanker truck and it's called and it is a lime sour.
1: Persian lime.
0: Persian lime sour. I don't know if the Persian makes a huge difference, but
1: um or as I said,
0: Parisian, Parisian lemon. Yeah. Um that one has a almost a margarita like flavor to it. Um, The lime and the saltiness to it really pronounced this margarita flavor that um, I found to be very refreshing, especially in a sea of double IPAs and tropical IPAs and And, hazy IPAs. And and imperial stouts. Yeah, and imperial stouts. So the lime sour was very, very good for me. And then the other one that I really enjoyed was another local brewery. Um, You've probably heard us talk about them, Druthers. Um, they make what's called the dare, and that's their traditional sour. But then they also do experimental batches of the dare, where they try different fruits in that sour. I think and the, pa-
1: the passion fruit one's the one they have out in four packs. You yes, can get right yeah, yeah, they
0: do. The passion fruit one is like uh, another one that they're, you know, that, that's become more of their main style. Um, but the one that they had at the show was their blueberry dare. So it was a blueberry sour, and I found that one just delectable.
1: It um, was good because. Um, you know, you thought I didn't like it because you think I don't like blueberry. I love blueberry. I just hate artificial blueberry. And right. this tasted like blue, like blueberries and not like artificial blueberry. It had a fantastic blueberry flavor. And um, it was bright, like like Veruca Salt blueberry it, blue. Yeah. You know.
0: And one thing that I was saying is that um, a lot of times sours, no matter what fruit you put in the sour, it all tends to taste the same, a tarty sour beer. Um there where the where there,
1: there was one that was just that which was the dogfish I had super eight which yep. was just double you know double goes which... And
0: and I had another one too that was a stone fruit beer and um again same thing it just all of that stuff whatever fruit you're using this kind of morphs into this one very samey sour flavor. Um and so the reason why I liked both the tanker truck lime sour and the blueberry sour is because they have distinctive sour taste to them rather than just a you know mashup of various fruits that taste sour um so those were my big two that i really enjoyed at the at the show that day i had about 16 i would say i think we had more but
1: i think um the internet by the end was starting to get a little shoddy i know
0: that i i tracked 16 um and i would say
1: those two are definitely my favorite and what about you Surprisingly, the the Persian lime from Two Roads was my favorite. I'm not the biggest uh, sour fan, but that was the perfect, like, like you said, like a margarita. It's like the perfect blend of having a juicy, tart limeness to it, a little bit of saltiness to it. I don't know if they had actually, like, sea salt in it, but it definitely felt like it had hints of it and, like, it had a nice pucker at the end, you know. It all was balanced incredibly well. I loved it to death, and it's... A sour, I would definitely go out of my way to get all the time because mm-hmm. it's just quenching. Great. Uh, another one, Rogue had a rhubarb strawberry sour, mm-hmm. and yeah. I've never had rhubarb before. Gave it a shot. Pretty de- damn delectable. Liked it a lot. Uh, wasn't really that sour at all. Had a nice strawberry taste to it. It was almost like like a bright pink, like a quick strawberry milk mix. Um, definitely would say that was really good. Uh, let's see. The Pabst Hard Coffee. Mm. That was, you know, surprisingly pretty good. That's right. Um, as our friend described it, Hody said it was kind of like drinking YooHoo. Kind of was. Kind of had that consistency, that mouthfeel. With a slight coffee taste to it, mm-hmm. um, but I would say that was good. I would definitely actually drink that, you know, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, really, to be honest with you, there weren't really any, like, particular IPAs that were uh, sticking out really,
0: to yeah, me. I didn't really have a huge
1: uh, um, standout. Like, Rare form had, like, their Moxie Double IPA that was just All right. Um Rogue had a pretty good um New England IPA. I had like, you know, the druthers, no headphones at That was just literally just alright.
0: Um Hey, let's go with um so what were the what were the letdowns of the
1: the show this year? Besides the Bud Light Seltzer? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, besides that. Um I oh, don't know, the Saranac Legacy was definitely...
0: Yeah, I was I was going to say that. The Saranac Legacy 2.0. Saranac has a new Legacy. It's it's called the version 2.0. And um, I don't really... I mean, I guess I'd have to taste them right back to back. But again, the Legacy IPA 2.0 tastes like... Exactly what you would expect a West Coast IPA to taste like.
1: Uh, the Galaxy Bomb by Sloop was pretty disappointing too. Yeah. And Sloop, Sloop, Sloop does make delivers. very good night mm-hmm. buzz. Um, disappointed that Armagang leaving early. Disappoint a great disappointment. They In fact, still, yeah, kind of infuriating. They did still have a
0: uh uh a, like one beer that was on tap after they left, but their actual station was completely deserted after an hour. Which is crazy, and especially because there's another show after this one. So do they just not go to that second? Where they just like, nah, fuck it, we're, we're we're heading back to Cooperstown. Fuck it. It I, was just like I, I don't it's weird. I, I don't know why they were gone. Sam Adams
1: didn't even show up. They didn't even try.
0: I like, don't. Yeah, I didn't see them at all. They were kind of like, fuck this. Nope. Um, I'll tell you what. In one of my disappointments:
1: the Amma Gang Double Merlot.
0: I don't know if it's just because of how many beers I had had at the show, or how my wow. palate was. Fucked a nice up.
1: wine beer doesn't but, but, really sound like to be too
0: palatable. But the whiny double was very hard to drink. Um,
1: that do was you a, even like the double, like the Abbey? Yeah, I do.
0: Yeah, I have to be in the mood for it. I'm never. I'm not like always like give me a double. You know, going to the bar, I'll take. You know how some people in movies go to the bar like I'll take a beer. I go to the <laughs> bar and I go I'll take a double. I'll take a triple. Well that's Girl our friend God. Well I say that's our friend Hody who yeah.
1: absolutely goes apeshit
0: over so, the three philosophers So I'm not nor I'm not like that anyway, but yeah, for whatever reason at the show specifically, that double Merlot really hit me as being very difficult to drink. I'll have to try it like with a clean, cleansed palate after I've eaten a bunch of coffee beans or something. <laughs> just to see if it was if it was actually the beer itself or just me being fourteen deep and like Ugh, I can't, I can't do anymore. Um cuz you do get to a point at the end of the show where you're like
1: all right yeah nothing sounds good well cuz we were like looking like and we're like yeah mill one has a has you know the colche yeah right all right yeah, you, know, you, Walt, you know Walt Whitman had a a
0: pale ale all yeah, right you're looking for something else and you're you know when you have all that sea of IPAs you
1: you get to the point where you're like i don't think i can do anything. i think that's IPAs. why they break like like those are the smart brewers they're like no oh, we're going to bring yeah. You know, we're going to bring something light and effervescent. That way, you know, when everyone's like, oh, I'm fucking bloated from all these double IPAs. Yeah. Come have a
0: coach. That is that is hard at the end of the show and you're like, oh. I was disappointed Wolf Hollow wasn't there. Not that we saw. We didn't see them, no, right? No, they weren't yeah. there.
1: Because we walked, we did like four laps around. Yeah, I, I definitely did they not weren't notice there. them.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Was Brown's there? Nope. Didn't see Brown's there either. Wait. wait. They were.
1: Th- yeah, they were. Were they? Huh.
0: We just um, didn't get to them, I guess.
1: That oat stout that our buddy had that was really good. That oatmeal stout. I can't remember who made it, but yeah, I can't remember who made that one. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Puts Browns to shame. It was a good one. And but I like Browns. I like Browns oatmeal stout. I haven't had it in years, to be honest. You have kind of like I kind of just it again. grown, you know, grown past it. Surprisingly, the Natty Light Mango Peach uh, Aloha Breeze Hard Seltzer wasn't bad that was at pretty all.
0: Pretty good. That was pretty. I would drink that.
1: For sure, I, I now, didn't have the expected terrible aftertaste that I was which thinking the Bud it was Light seltzer
0: did, which is funny. I don't think I did. Ha- I didn't have the Bud Light seltzer. I he got conned into it. The guy no, hardcore was like, "You gotta
1: have some." No, he didn't. But well, when I was d- walking by, he did for the Natty Light. He was upselling. It. Yeah, right. but for the Bud Light seltzer, when we walked by, he was just like, "It was like I had a ball game." Like Bud Light seltzer, <laughs> get your Bud Light seltzer. <laughs> and you're like, how
0: can I pass? This and up? I was like,
1: well, I'm not. I don't. Re- I know they have them at Tall Boys now. at Stewart's now. So I was like. Like, like in a couple of flavors. So I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll ha- try. And it had the awful aftertaste, mm. which is funny because Natty Lights, the lowest tier Anheuser Busch brand, Bud Lights your flagship, and your fucking flagship version tastes like shit compared to the Natty Light version. Mm-hmm. I would try the. I want to try the Catalina Lime Mixer now. Catalina because that cherry lime just sounds like a delightful hard seltzer. I just like the word Catalina. <laughs> I I just love the Step Brothers reference. It's true. Catalina they should, Breeze. They should have uh Fred Armisen, John C. Riley, and Bill Hader. Uh, Will Will Farrell on there for And Bill Hader. It's true. Get both those cat the Catalina Breeze and the Catalina wine mixer in.
0: <laughs> Alright, so uh anything else that you want to talk about about beer Fest before
1: we move on? Do Parasite? No. Do you wanna talk about the Tim and Eric show? We can a little bit. I mean, it's... Sure. We can. Look, it doesn't have to be related to the podcast. It was just a great time. That's true. We w- we did go see Tim and Eric live. We did. Probably we were, never going to happen again. It was a fun time. It's their last
0: tour. So, s- supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> the, the last tour. Yeah, Sponsored no, was, by Boot Bar. It was a really fun time. Um, we. It's a cool venue anyway. The Egg is a cool venue. No bad seats, <coughs> even though I bought... You know, what I thought were <laughs> going to be terrible tickets. There's no bad seats in there.
1: And, and I, um, I'm pretty sure the closer you, because it's such a smaller amphitheater, the closer you are, the kind of shittier it would probably yeah, be. So that's true.
0: Yeah. And uh, just a fun, interactive show. Um, Extremely funny. I was crying like the first minute into the show. Uh Definitely recommend
1: going to see it. The um, playbill was hilarious, awesome. amazing. I don't
0: really want to talk too much about it because I
1: don't want to ruin the experience. No, right I know, but I'm about, just uh, saying. I'm just saying some yeah. thoughts. Like what? Like because as much as we both love Tim and Eric, it'd be, it, going in we we're kind of like, well, how the hell are you gonna?
0: Yeah, how are you gonna do a two man show? You know, li- you know, live. live like that? Yeah, it's it's great. I definitely recommend checking that out and mm-hmm. going to see it. Um, Really funny. If you see the the
1: ad, you have to go. It's mandatory.
0: That's right. It's It's, mandatory. And also, you know, it depends on if you like that style of humor. But if you do, it is very funny. Extremely
1: funny. Listen, as long as they keep Vic Berger with employment, that's... That's right. Yeah. You know, that's... That's true. He's uh, one of the stars of the show, and he's not even there. (laughs) And it was on Valentine's Day, so that was nice for us. That's right. Nice (laughs) little Valentine's Day date. And people were proposing on stage at
0: the end. Yep. Hacks. I hope they bring. I hope they filmed at least one show as like a.
1: Oh, I'm sure they did. To release it later. They
0: haven't. They haven't filmed the other live shows that they've done. At least not that they've been released. I'm
1: sure they'll film something because they were showing clips from like previous. uh, Yeah, they did. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they they just didn't. they didn't, uh, They didn't release like an official. Uh,
1: show from their
0: previous live performances. Well, I don't
1: think they'll do that, but I think they'll tape some of it. Yeah.
0: A lot of fun. Definitely check it out if it comes around you. It's awesome. All right. Let's get into Parasite. We got a uh, got a lot to talk about on the show. I, I even wrote down some notes. So, like I said, we're Ru- journalistic be- today and ruining the
1: formula of yeah, being off, off off the cuff. Off the cuff.
0: So where should we begin? We really don't need to do a synopsis so much because the synopsis is sort of crazy. I don't know. It's, it would sound all over the place if you really try to to um synopsize the film itself. But I will start off by saying that Parasite is um for for what it's worth, what I knew about the film, it morphs quite a bit throughout the movie from where I thought it what I thought it was
1: to what it becomes later on. I was hoping halfway through the film when we get that one reveal that uh It would turn into, like, a stereotypical, like, Japanese, like, Korean, like, horror, like, you know, ghost horror thing. It kind
0: of, in some ways, it does seem like that is going to be the case. Um, I think the reveal that you're talking about is actually when we find out about the basement. Mm -hmm. And there is that whole scenario where they're running through the basement, and it's a small corridor of in a series of tunnels that go down into the basement where it looks like we're in, like, a grudge movie or something like that. And there's Mm. even characters that kind of creep around on Mm. their, you know, hands and knees, like, going around the stairwell. And it it does almost seem like that's sort of an homage to some of those (laughs) films that have done that previously in, in, uh, you know, like, J and K horror. Um, But at the same time, like, I find that Parasite morphs very well uh, within each of its respective, like, elements that it tries to recreate. So you have... I know that some people like to think of, um, and I wouldn't say they do, but Parasite in a lot of ways has really captured the horror um, genre market, even though it's not really a horror film. It's not, um, um, it doesn't fit in that wheelhouse at all. Um, if anything, it's more of a thriller. Um, and I would even call it a black comedy, a dark comedy in some ways. um, and so but it's it's interesting that it has impacted the horror community in s- so many ways um even to the point where a lot of people were very excited to see it win the academy award because it was technically a small small crumb of a horror film that won the award um i don't really see it that way but i think I like, think
1: i think just from like the visual visual aspects the like color palette Mm -hmm. and like just certain things with the film like creates a tenseness that you would hope to feel on a very good horror film and I think because the horror community outside of like a couple of films these days is uh starved Mm -hmm. for great tension the fact that this film has a bunch of that great tension in it kind of no that's up that's one of ours you are kind of yeah you're like yeah. cuz it's of definitely. For I would it. definitely say it's more of a black comedy sure. and slightly a thriller. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's like oh it's downright, you know, like thriller. Mm-mm. But it's got aspects of yeah. of it. I think I definitely think he borrows from a lot of genres, you know, yeah. like a slice of life, black comedy, regular comedy, you know, drama, all these things. Crime. Like yeah, crime to create this gigantic, you know, uh
0: melting pot of a film and and like i said it really runs the gamut and its plot the storyline that pong Jun ho has written um is sort of like i guess if you were to see it on paper you'd be like that's all over the place like there's w- what is happening in this movie like how can they run through all of that stuff in the same movie but it works extremely well and it just you know it, it's just one thing after another um not in the same way of um we talked about. I'm trying to think of a movie that had this, where we said it was just one thing after another. Um, I re- I recall we just did it not too long ago. A movie that was like that, but I can't remember it now. Um, but there are films that, like, well, I guess I'll say Fury Road, which is literally like Breakneck. one thing yeah, 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 after just, another. Just go, bam, go. bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Parasite's not not like that, and I don't want it to sound like it's frenetic or like kinetic or anything like that. It's actually a fairly slow moving film. But the way that it morphs is sort of very
1: fluid in that it's going... It makes it feel like it's frenetic. It does. Yeah, exactly. Like everything's going bang, bang, bang. Because It's just the way it's just building and building and building until you get to the end where it's just this giant fucking, you know, release of energy.
0: I feel like if you were just to try to explain this in its most basic generalities and say, yeah, it's about a family who infiltrates a rich people's family and becomes workers in that in that family and then they find some people in the basement that have you know have been living there for some time and then those people kind of go crazy and they all attack the family you know, like it's really hard to just summarize that in a way that makes sense and sounds like it could you know have any artistic merit but then, when you just watch it and you see it develop and fluidly go from from scene to scene and and uh, event to event, it just it just happens and it works and it it's surprising in the in the method that Pong Jun Ho uses to get from one destination to another and yet still maintain a lot of the themes that he has br- um has put in the film since the beginning and also going back to things that he's mentioned just briefly uh, within the films. Um, realism Um, for example people saying how hot it is outside and then later on an open window becomes a huge issue for the family or um, you know just seeing light switches go off and then later on it makes a a more um, meaningful uh, element to the film Um, those types of things where you, you return to those small details are what really makes a movie something to think about rather than just kind of be there observing mm-hmm. you're, you're in it and it, it becomes more realistic because of that. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And that's where I, that's kind of where I wanted to start is just talking about how the plot moves and, and the way that Pong Jun ho structures the movie to move from one destination to another and, and how that shifts over time. Um, I think that, um, the one thing that really stuck out to me about the way that this moves is you have that really that first initial structure of this family who's the um, the uh, family who's trying to infiltrate the Park family. They've they've now found out. Oh, okay, these people are they're pretty the, rich. They're the Korean shameless. That's right. Yeah, uh, they're pretty rich, and they could definitely use some help. And we are those people that can give that help to them, as long as we get the other people that are in those positions out of those positions, and we can all be a part of this. You know. Syndicate that's well it's behind it, the
1: scenes. It's because they have a job that job. How about we get those jobs? Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, it's well, like... I think the cleverness to the film is they kind of and I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, for a good chunk of the film, if you were to kind of take the film at like just face value, it seems like the Kim family is completely malicious. So you get like up until like halfway through the film where like the basement starts to get introduced. Mm-hmm. It's their um po- their um their poverty is more of a c- characteristic of their life than like an actual like an actual thing that you can kind of say with the way they act you if you were like just weren't really thinking about the film like well these people are scumbag assholes. But as the film goes on, you kind of see how the life that they've lived is creating all these how they're acting and, you know, and then being surrounded in, you know, the rich atmosphere and the dichotomy it creates and their attitude towards them and how, like, again, it's like slowly building. Like, again, like I said, if you just were to, like, watch the first, like, half hour of this film, you're like, these guys are just a bunch of assholes, you know, being like, oh, like, your buddy tells you about this good, you know, job of, you know, lecturing her daughter. You know, like teaching her English. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, instead of being like, oh, that's a good way to make money. Our family's down at the dumps. We need to make money. You know, he's thinking about got to get the sister in on this and then got to get the dad, like get everybody in on it. So again, it's not like coming from the perspective of like, they're just looking for work. It's like, how can they, you know, it's like a con game, they- which they don't like explicitly say that they're trying to con them, but it's, that's how it, it comes. So, I think that's like a really interesting aspect watching watching how that goes because again, at first it seems like these people are trash
0: mm. I think I found it i kind of went back and forth on that, so i kind of i think that pong Jun ho does a really good job at the beginning of the film of showing um the uh their environment that the, they're the envi- yes. yeah the the environment and what they're living in and 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 what um you know, what they go through on a day-to-day basis that makes them think this way. And so you can kind of understand where they're going, where they're coming from in that, you know, uh, especially because they do have qualities that make them, that should make them successful people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they talk about how much the father has worked in different fields and he has, he's very varied in all the fields that he's worked in. He's been attempting many things um, and they happen to fail. Um, or you have the the son who is actually really good at English tutoring. He's good at tutoring in general. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's still not able to get the opportunities that he should be getting. Or the fact that the daughter is really, really, really good at art. Yeah. And yet she should be going to college with it, but she doesn't have
1: the, the opportunity, any opportunity yeah. to
0: go there. So you kind of do You do that.
1: You're right. You do see that. But my my point is, like, it's kind of like it's for the most part, it's, you know, it's very like if you're not paying attention it's very those types of things, are like very quick you know if you're not you know being attentive while you're watching the film, yeah, you know, I think those things and I think that's intentional too, because it's you want it's kind of to plant the seed there but not have you like be focused on like well, you know about that that's not what you're trying to focus on when you're originally looking at these people. I definitely felt I was going back and forth
0: between them, like you know sometimes I felt like. Yeah, they're you know they're just doing the best that they can. They're trying to make the best of a, a bad situation, and so in some ways they're making bad decisions. But it's for the you know for the good of their family. And then at the same time, Pong Jun Ho also introduces a lot of different scenes that make you think otherwise. You're like, hmm, maybe not. Um, there's that whole scene where the family goes out on the camping trip, and so the Kim family starts to just trash everything in the house that they they just grab mm. all their food start eating everything in there get drunk get and, drunk <laughs> on their very expensive whiskeys you know just throw things on the floor willy-nilly um and so then you're like well you know maybe they're you know yeah they did mean well at first or they were just trying to make ends meet but now they're not really you know
1: being respectful um so you kind of go both ways throughout a lot of the film and they're con you're right to bring up the whole you know, they're trying their best, because that's a theme that gets brought up several times between, you know, uh, Kim and uh, Park, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, they're both, even though one's, you know, got has wealth and one is impoverished, they're both, you know, trying their best. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, again, like, at first, when you're... You know, watching the Kim family constantly bringing up like them, like how they're acting and like you know how to act and like how like, again like they're preparing that whole script of like this is how we get you know <laughs> this person fired so you can become the house right. I mean, it's literally a con. Yeah, and they so, even,
0: I mean they, they say so, you should have been a con then, but that's yeah. literally what it is. So I when mean, you're scripting things out.
1: Yeah, you know. So I mean, you you under like I said, it's understandable to sit there like, well, they are you know just trying to get by, but at the same time, it's like they're just trying to get by, and then like you know what they're doing. Seventy percent of the time is, you know, very not. It's not great that what mm-hmm. they're doing. It's right. you know because their tricks and scams to get to the jobs that they're getting is getting these other what people, we know other good people, people yeah. fu- you know fired and then they're possibly going to be leading a life of impo- you know right you know poverty because of that. So right, yeah, and it's uh it's really crazy, especially because that
0: all harkens back to the theme. Uh, these poor people against poor people throughout quite a bit mm-hmm. of the film um, where you have the rich people who are uh, quite literally having a grand old time living above ground in their regular house, a beautiful expansive uh, uh, architecturally designed house and then you have people living in squalor down, literally down flights and flights of stairs which we see in this um really great shot of Pong Joon-ho following the family as they Mm. escape from um, the 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 rich people, the Kim's house, going down the the stairs and stairs and stairs and stairs all the way down into their uh, squalorly living area where sewage is seeping into into their basement. And that scene of stairs is really nice. That's a, that is one of the um, elements of that you were talking about, the tension of the film, that really stands out as a very tense moment in you know, what has otherwise been a pretty dark comedy. Um, of them, it's pouring out. You know, It's just been raining all day. Running down stairs that you see are getting increasingly more flooded. And then finally getting back to their sub-basement, which they've found to be completely submerged in water. Sewage water. Sewage water. Saving whatever precious items that they can find in their sewage water. Um, it's a pretty harrowing moment, especially because it then juxtaposes back to the next day where the Park family is like, We're going to have a great party for our, for our son. We're going to just go all out and buy you know tons of wine and food and cheeses and all that shit. And, and, yeah, invite all of our friends, have a violinist and um a opera singer there. And so there's that juxtaposition of like, yeah, the the Kim family has to get up and get out and go to this great party after their entire house has been washed out and they've been living in a gymnasium for the entire night. Um that's a that's a moment that's really stands out as you know yes, it's a dark comedy, it's a black comedy but that part of it is really you know harrowing.
1: No, I agree. I you know that whole sequence of them trying, you know, trying to get out of the house undetected, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great. It's like a nice, you know, 20 minute long s- slow build, you know. Yep. You know, just growing tension and it's the scene takes different, you know, twists and turns that you wouldn't expect, you know. Yeah, there's
0: um I really like the way that they shot that because, um, you have like that very expansive living room that they're in and it seems like they should have really no big deal getting out of the living room and getting downstairs and getting out of the house. And yet there's that really big, nice twist of the kid waking up and the light coming on and the walkie talkie going on. And then you have that very expansive wide shot again of them looking out this nice view window. Into this
1: backyard. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, yeah. That's nicely framed and symmetrical, mm. and then hit, um, the father's feet that are just off to the left-hand side of the shot, you know, just laying there, hoping not to be uh, noticed. Kind of
1: remind me of a Wes Anderson shot, the way uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, that giant, you know, window door, like, the kid being out in the tent, like, it was, like, making me think of, like, Moonrise Kingdom or some shit, right, you are know? right. like, like, oh, you know. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Park family. Okay you know getting more into you know detail about you know who they are mm-hmm. what they do and who they are at first i thought um the uh wife was going to be
0: uh the stereotypical like unhappy wife she's really rich but still unhappy because that first shot that we see of her is her like kind of like laying on the table outside with her head mm-hmm. down um and then she comes inside and and then it actually kind of morphs away from that she's not really unhappy wife or anything like that she's ex- actually extremely happy
1: um just gullible
0: just extremely gullible. Naive, I, yeah
1: naive yeah I, w- I would say the whole family's naive and i think and that's, I, it's it's you know uh, i think a good metaphor you know well for showing like you know like showing like you know People who have more wealth than they know what to do with Mm -hmm. are going to be naive to the problems of people who are impoverished because how the fuck would they know? Right. Um, Not
0: not only naive about uh, how people are impoverished, but um, just naive in general about how life works. Like um, in in this case, there's a nice shot of, um, and it's really quick, of um, the woman, the mother in the Park family trying to get um, her dishwasher (laughs) uh, everything out of it and uh she's just struggling with it and that's a really quick shot as she's on the phone and yet you can tell you know this family that they're just not accustomed to doing things that normal people would do Does normal everyday folks would actually and a lot of people don't even have a dishwasher (laughs) so you know for them to struggle with just even getting dishes out of a dishwasher just shows that they're not accustomed to the problems that most people would have. and the other thing that you, you see a lot is that um, I, th- I think the fact,
1: too, that she's willy nilly, like paying for all these like, yeah, you be the art therapist and you, you right. the th-, just, you know, taking we, them at their face value. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, because why the hell do I got to care? It's just money. It's just money. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, without being like, cause if, like, well, me or you to be like, oh, you're going to tutor our daughter. Like, all right. Well, so what the fuck do you do? How much do you want Ooh, no 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 you know not, not just being like
0: yeah sure whatever and, and the other thing too is um what they actually bring it up in this in the part of the film when um the kim father is driving park and he says you know i can hire um another housekeeper no problem um the thing is they mention multiple times is like they don't even want to talk to the people about the problems that they think are going on like the driver having, mm. they think he's having sex in his car or the housekeeper who they think is <laughs> tuberculosis. They don't even want to bring it up with them because it's so much easier for them to just fire and rehire. Give them a nice severance. Yeah. Move on. They, yeah. they, they don't even bother to do the, that type of thing. And that's why they're so gullible because they're not doing any, they're not vetting at all. They're not, there's no background checks. There's no looking up art therapy to see if it's full of shit. They're just literally hiring whatever they think they need. And so, you do get that, where, it, you know, in life experience, the um, the Kims are much more hardy and prepared for real life than the the Park family. And so, that's another juxtaposition between the two of them. Um,
1: I do think it's, like, I don't know if it would have worked with either one of the, the husband and wife being kind of this way, but I think... They, I think the film could have also benefited from also having kind of like a malicious part of like so, like somebody like maybe it was like a friend of theirs or somebody who was wealthy who had like like a malicious streak to them. Because, again, like I said, like the first, you know, from what we see from the Kims for a good chunk, you know, for a good portion of the film is, you know, they're conning them and how, you know, how they're trying to benefit. And I think the fact that they're just kind of showing these rich people as just you know naive to everything that doesn't go on in their little circle i think is kind of a missed opportunity
0: well actually I think that um that's actually i think that's intentional. I think that what we're supposed to be seeing at the beginning is that yes the the Kims are sort of being uh you know they're they're scoundrels they're getting into they're infiltrating this and they're becoming literally the parasite of the title but then as you get through and you at first you think oh the you know the parks really aren't that bad you know yeah they Hmm. might be gullible they might be naive and they might you know not really think too much of their associates where they'll just hire and fire willy-nilly but they're not that bad of people and they don't really seem like they don't have respect for the kims however as that moves forward you get little glimpses of how they don't respect you know, people who they feel are under them. And that the biggest one is when Kim brings up the, or Park brings up the fact he's that Kim's father has a smell about him mm-hmm. that he notices. And he says, you know, he, sometimes he, when he's speaking, he nearly crosses the line, but he doesn't cross the line, but his smell crosses the line. And so that little snippet right there is your first glimpse as the viewer. We are like, Whoa, you know, and also for the Kim's really that you're like, Whoa, Okay, so the part- you know, the parks. For all they show that they they, you know, don't seem superior. They feel it. They they feel superior on the inside, and they may not speak it. No, no, I,
1: it. I, I I understand that. I'm saying there also could have been an opportunity to have somebody who's kind of just like more downright malicious. Because mm-hmm. again, I think you know, cause <laughs> I think this film does a great job of showing like everybody's like like colors. And I do think you're right. It does a great job in showing, like, yeah, they have these, you know, the the parks, even though they seem like, oh, they're nice. There is, like, an affront to it because when they're, like, kids out in the tent, they're out, you know, fucking giving hand jobs and handsies (laughs) while, you know, saying, reach around, you know, uh, tell me, you know, tell me I sell drugs, you know, because that's what they're accusing, you know, of the driver of. And, like, you know, what if I got those cheap panties for you to wear? That'd get me off, you know. So. Yes, I get all that, but I'm saying, I think, I'm not saying it's totally necessary, but I think it could have benefited, too, from having somebody who's kind of a little bit more outright malicious, mm. because, again, like I said, the film does such a good job of showing all these different, you know, colors, I think that's, like, kind of a missed opportunity, because it, to say, like, that, you know, there, it's all just a front, there are rich people that, you know, who are just outwardly miserable cunts, and that's miserable true. cunts to, poor, you know, to... You know,
0: I feel like, you know, th- what they didn't want to do is be a little too cliche on, you know, because a lot of representation of rich people in films is like, oh, they're miserable cunts and they're assholes and stuff like that. You know, snobby, you know, richy rich people. Um I'm not saying being like, you know, dick yeah. dastard. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, right. I,
0: you know, but I think the intent was maybe to just not go the super stereotypical route like that, but. Yeah, I mean, you could have the malicious people. I like that they did do a nuance to the Kim or to the Park family at least, where there was that that one s- part where you're like, "Wow, you know." So that's what they think.
1: Well, I think it's even better. I think it's even better when like she was like, "What smell are you talking about?" You know, after they're done having the reach around fun. Yeah. And then she's in the car the next day. She's got her fucking bare feet just you know on the passenger seat, you know, kicked yeah. up as she's on the phone. and Then you see girl. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, it right? Does yeah. smell like old radishes?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting um reveal for
1: them because, like I said, and you could see his face too because yeah. he he was there when they were talking about it, and you could see his face, like you know. And Kang Ho, Kang Ho Sun is really
0: great in these moments where they're talking about his um his smell because he really does have a very good facial. He doesn't he can't say anything. In both of those scenes. because in, in the one, he's under a table be trying mm-hmm. to be quiet, and then the other, he's just driving her, so he can't, you know... He, he notices, but he can't say, like, stop <laughs> sniffing me. Um, but in both of those, you can just see the facial reaction of him being, like, both hurt, upset, mm-hmm. you know, angry, all of those things, because in a lot of ways, that's a smell of a person doing what they can, right? Like, living life in the way that they... The only way that they know how and coping and uh, something that the, the Park family would just not understand. You know, the par- Park Park um, is a he, he certainly is a somebody who works hard, but he's a businessman. And it's a very different thing than having a completely, um, you know, manual lifestyle like the. Have, do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they all of their work is manual labor, basically. Um and they were folded in pizza boxes, yeah, yeah, so I think that that's you know that that's really interesting how that comes out, and it's just a very um you know a very uh upsetting scene, especially how with how he reacts to that to that phrase that they use that comes up again and again later on in the in the film um one thing that I did want to talk about um is that metaphor of the rock that, that is uh, within this movie. Um, a rock that is presented to them early on in the movie. It's like a big, you know, boulder, basically. And then it becomes sort of like a weight throughout the, the rest of the movie as um, the family remembers that they have this rock and it's supposed to bring them wealth. That's the metaphor behind it, that, you know, it's a, it's a nice rock that um, Min's grandfather had, gives it to them. It's supposed to, it's, as a, it, it's basically a good luck charm. It's supposed to bring wealth. And um, they, they, it's almost like the idea of your, your American dream, right? That you have this American dream, you can achieve anything, you know, you can, whatever you put your mind to, um, pull yourself work up really your bootstraps, work really hard, you'll achieve your wealth, you'll get rich, and you'll get whatever you want. And so that's like the rock in this movie. And it's uh, actually becomes a weight that weighs them down, um, thinking about that especially because it's literally the demise of one character. Um, and uh, it then at the end, it also becomes a, uh, a part of a, I guess you call it a dream sequence or a, a wish fulfillment sequence where they put the rock back. So what did you think about the rock in this movie? The metaphor. Not Dwayne
1: Johnson. <laughs> no, that's the rock. Uh, <laughs> not the metaphor. I like it. It's good. Um, I definitely liked the uh, how uh, poor Kevin gets bashed in the head with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a good
0: explicit moment. That yeah, we don't. More, and the, the don't fact get- that
1: they even showed him grabbing the rock again and slamming slammed in the head again for good measure, you know, that's uh was unexpected and you know kind of got a chortle out of me. You know,
0: surprising that he's over overall fine at the end of the movie though. Kevin, after being bashed in the head with this. It was yeah. kind
1: of reminding me of, like, the end of uh, uh, Clockwork Orange where, you know, he's kind of, like, in the hospital bed and he's just kind of laughing and daydreaming off. Uh, but I, I I, think it's a good metaphor because the, the, uh, the Park family have their own uh, metaphor for wealth uh, about the ghost in the house, you know, that's supposed to create wealth. And I think the... You know, you're right. It's supposed to be used as a good luck charm because at first he's very, well, uh, you know, kind of like going to hold on to this as you know something that's going to turn our luck around. And that's you know when he, by getting that from men, he also gets that job. And then by doing that, he's also you know they're all able to eventually infiltrate the Park family, and that's creating their wealth at the time. Yeah, I forgot
0: about that too. That they used the um, the man in the basement. The, as mm-hmm. the ghost that's supposed to be good luck for them, for wealth. Mm-hmm. That's another same same idea, metaphor. I forgot about that, that they, that, that was something else that they
1: used as Yeah, because they were talking about how their son saw a ghost when he was sitting down after his, like, first-grade birthday party, slovenly eating cake on the floor, you know, just like, ah, and they saw, you know, somebody pop out from the basement.
0: Um... That's interesting because it's another misplaced idea. It's, you know, it has nothing to do with metaphor or luck or wealth. It's actually, um, another person that is struggling living in their basement because they literally have nothing else and they have to live in the basement because debt collectors, or I guess in this case, Korean loan sharks are coming after them, um, that's the reason why he's living in this this Wait, family for four basement. years. For four, yeah, for four years, basically just stealing some of the food so that he can eat and coming out whenever they're not there. Um, and that leads us really into the point.
1: Which, which that's a, also um a nice I a touch I like too because they add in like well, like what the hell is this bunker down here? Like oh, the, most people uh, these rich houses have bunkers just in case you know there's ever an attack from North Korea.
0: Yeah, predators.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Which um, harkens back to like, especially in American terms, to like Cold War. You know, mm-hmm. America Soviet. Like the idea of like have your bunker on ready just in case the Soviets ever attack. Right. You know, and if you think about it, at least in modern terms for us over here, it's not really the same in South Korea. I mean, you know, they they're always on high alert over there because war could ever be imminent between the two but at least for us that idea of like have a bunker on standby because there might be a giant attack is a ghost of an idea that's like something from far you know 60 70 years ago right. yeah. so that's like you know uh some people still have freestanding bunkers but it's not yeah. something that you
0: worry about on a day-to-day basis um
1: So that 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 ju- you know that kind of uh juxtaposition was kind of nice you know seeing that because mm-hmm. it's like you know just from being an American knowing, you know, a little bit of history. It's like, oh, you know, that's kind of, right. you know, an idea that wouldn't resonate with, would only resonate with, like, baby boomers at this point, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because they, it's not the only time that they bring up nuclear warheads. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole um element to it where um, the Kims sort of are pretending like they're being a, news forecast about nuclear warheads that are being... Is that... No, is or, that, wrong, sorry, the, the,
1: it's not... It's the old housekeepers yes. doing, like, the North Korean yes, news, yes. which was well, pretty spot on because I've seen, like, you know, like, the North Korean, like, news, like, things, and she's like, you know, like, this is, you know, speaking bombastically about using the nuclear warheads to spread peace, you know, and create world, you know... Right. Uh, everlasting peace, you know, was really good. Yeah, I misspoke. That was Moon Gwang, yeah.
0: um the housekeeper that's... Uh, yeah, they th- at that point they're sort of like blackmailing mm-hmm. the um the the Kim's and um that's uh this is another you know that the mention of nuclear war uh, especially with the, with North Korea and South Korea it's really interesting. Um what I was going to say though with the uh with Moon Gwang and her husband that leads us into this the notion in um Parasite about the poor versus the poor in here. Um we talked about it a little bit because technically what the Kim's are doing is ousting people who already have jobs who probably would be exactly in the same situation as the Kims had they not had a job with the the parks. And so the other thing is that that comes back to bite them when Moon Guang comes back as the housekeeper and goes downstairs in the basement and gets her husband. And that kind of puts them at war with each other. Uh, you have the Kims who... Uh, don't want to lose their position in this household because it's really the only thing that's making them money. And then you have Moon Guang and her husband who literally can't afford to to uh, live anywhere else. Um, they just want to like live downstairs. They don't want. No, they don't but, really want anything else. Even they well, just want to be able I, to stay there.
1: Well, as I say, and you get to see again. Yeah, the poor versus poor. Because you get to see. The ones in power at the time, like the other ones being, like, you know, at first, Moon Guang's like, please, sister, you know, yeah. help me, I need yep. help, and they're like, fuck you, we're calling the police, and then right. as soon as they're able to turn the table, she's like, well, now, sis, let's work this out, and she's yeah. like, fuck you, you know, yeah. this is what we're gonna you, do now. You have that whole thing yeah. where they, now, the Kims don't even feel on the same playing field
0: when they're working for the parks as Moon Guang. They, they literally feel a little bit superior, uh, where she doesn't even want her to call her sis. Um, and so... Again, that just shows you, you know, that dynamic here. If you have the rich who really, you know, at first they don't really experience any issues. You know, to them, what's a housekeeper? doesn't matter who does it. As long as they're good at it and they can make um, Ramdan, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, but it's really the people that are underneath them that are getting paid. And quite literally in this film, people that are underneath them living either in their basement or in the, you know, the, the whatever, the sub basements that they have of semi-basements, um, those are the people that are really duking it out with each other for the opportunities.
1: And, well, and that's something, um, and I, I agree with what you're saying, that's something that's like probably one of the best moments for me in this film, is because that's something you see, and we don't often get political on this show, but uh, it's often something you see in like American society today. Uh, living in the area that we live, you constantly see and hear people bitch about all the time, these motherfuckers on food stamps and welfare mm-hmm. i got a job why you know why do they gotta you know get their lazy asses a job when like that anger and divisiveness you like you're misdirecting it because right. it's not at people who have any power to begin with mm-hmm. or re- any real seg you know yep. they're not asking like how did that situation get created they just like i got a fucking job why don't you have a fucking job right you know, and it, then they usually have a come to if, you know, and most of these people will eventually have like come to Jesus moments if they ever run into that situation where they're like, well, shit, you know. Yeah. But usually that come to Jesus only lasts for as long as they're in that situation. Yeah, and then as soon as yeah. they're back out, it's like it, and, and back really, to the status
0: quo. That is exactly what Parasite is showing. Yes. Is that you are in. So the, the Moon Wong was in a great situation. She was as a housekeeper making good money with rich family the Kims come along, they oust her from that position because there are a finite number of positions. Not everyone can have one. And so, she's ousted. The Kims are in. Moon Guang is out. Now, Moon Guang is upset with the Kims. But really, that doesn't... There's no power for either of them to say, boy, I wish we both could have jobs here.
1: You know? It's one versus the other. Well, and again, uh, I agree. And that also kind of, you know... um goes back to you know uh how this film kind of is talking about just like, you know, this uh post industrial, you know, capitalist society that we just about the entire industrial post industrialized world lives in now. And an idea that I think a lot of people who don't know anything really about economics doesn't really understand. Like again, going back to this like, well, why don't they get a job? As long as there's supply and demand, there's always going to be a... you know a finite amount of resources and jobs. Now, everyone, you know, Mm -hmm. if everyone grew up to be fucking doctors, we'd be kind of fucked Mm -hmm. because there wouldn't be enough people to do other things. And as long as we have this tiered society of these different, you know, jobs that are valued at different things, there's always going to be people who inherently are going to be living in poverty because the job that they do is not going to be paid as, you know, amount that's going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, you're always going to have people who, Are in poverty and don't have those jobs because, again, it's all like you know how much if would that be worthwhile to you? You know, busting your ass, making eight dollars an hour at a job that does nothing for you, compared to you know looking for something better. Right. Trying and using that that time that you're giving up for something else. You may not be working. You may be on welfare, but maybe using that time to get a degree in something, to pursue a different job, you know. And I think, Parasite, and he's, yeah, I so. think
0: Parasite tries to show that too, especially at the beginning when they're showing them making the pizza boxes, that they literally are watching a YouTube video on how to fold pizza boxes as fast as possible so that they can make enough money to, mm-hmm. you know, have like what, what would amount to be a useful job for them. Um, and so it does show that the Kims are not people that aren't willing to work. And throughout... This con job, it it's shows a lot that they are work. really good at doing yeah. things. You know, they are really good at um, scripting and acting and art and being creative, and yet they still don't have those opportunities. So it's not about them not wanting to do something or not being, you know, not being skilled enough. It's about the opportunity
1: itself not being available. And that exactly, going back to like how I said, at first they seem like they're just a bunch of you know scummy con artists mm-hmm. that right there is what you know ties it all back together, and how their environment and what opportunities they have is creating what they're doing
0: yeah. What do you think about the big birthday bash scene, the scene that really culminates big climax sequence at the uh boys' birthday party
1: um, that's I, that fucking kid did not deserve a party that lavish. <laughs> Yeah. That you know to me that mom was she was full of shit when she when she said that party's for his birthday it's no it. she got her titty twisted clockwise That's right. and you know had a reach around and she woke up feeling so great the next morning she's going to have a party to get all her friends over to drink wine and have hors d'oeuvres and just have a hell of a time you don't to give a shit about it. she's lying the other thing too um is that uh she
0: says that it's a uh was it a casual party? Yeah,
1: you can wear sweatpants. Because
0: it uh, it's an impromptu. You can yes. wear sweatpants. I don't see anybody wearing sweatpants there. There's no, a, they're all very finely very dressed. nicely looking party. And even Kevin says that. Uh, Asks if he fits in there. Yeah, because he, he just, you know, obviously he d- doesn't look the part. And so, you know, it's, that's interesting. But uh, the the part about the birthday bash that I was talking about is that whole climax where uh, Moongwang's husband gets out of the basement, comes upstairs, grabs a knife you know go basically starts a birthday party massacre
1: at well if you've been in that basement for 4 years you know and you're you just saw your wife die of a concussion mm-hmm. um and peach allergy Yeah.
0: <laughs> that peach allergy Which, I would say, again, is a pretty uh, clever thing i've never really heard of that but i like the whole the the almost like it, um uh ocean's 11 style i like, thought they
1: were thinking of um at first i thought they were talking about the daughter and like i was like what is this was like a metaphor for like because they were talking about Kevin being with her. Right. So I was thinking, like, is that, like, for a metaphor? Like, don't touch my daughter's giant. Don't vagina. touch the peach fuzz. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, there's no peaches <laughs> <which> in the <laughs> shops. No, uh, yeah, no. But
1: then it's like, oh, stuff. But no, you're right. Because they're like, yeah, like, but that's also, again, that's like, I, I think out of all the con things that they do, that's like, like, the one of the most heinous ones they do. Like, that's pretty rough. Because yeah. if <laughs> she doesn't have, <laughs> like, a fucking, you know, uh, hypodermic needle, know. On, like, you know, to, you know, like an EpiPen to give her. What she needs is like, uh, yep, yeah, the she dies.
0: Keeper twice has a terrible allergic reaction because of this peach fuzz that they're...
1: To simulate tuberculosis.
0: Yeah.
1: That's pretty rough.
0: But uh, I thought it was clever.
1: Which, again, that's, you know, I, I did like that part too because when the father's talking to her about that and she because she's, like, having that reaction, like, really? Mm-hmm. The consumption? Still a thing? Yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: Right. <laughs> um, but... That whole birthday sequence is um, is pretty great. Um, and I I think it's really tense when he's coming out. You know, after he's just bashed Kevin in the head with the giant rock, he's coming out with the knife and his face is all bloody. It's
1: like war paint.
0: Yeah. His face is all bloody. He's coming out with this knife. Um, and the whole scene really plays out well um, and as expected, really, because he really just targets... The uh, Kim family. Because the biggest thing about this film is that the Kims really don't find themselves to be bad people. They think they're good people. They're doing what they need to do, but it, you know, that might have been bad. You know, getting the housekeeper fired and things like that.
1: But they think that they're good people. And so I don't know if they think they're good people, because by the end, at least with Kevin, he's very much questioning what the that, hell they've been doing. True. Some of
0: the, some of them are questioning what they're and doing. And I think for his sure.
1: father is too. Yeah. Because I think his father's it, it, it's come to the realization like they because they constantly talk about we got a plan we got a plan we got a plan like yeah i've had all these plans my entire life and it's got me to fucking conning these assholes and potentially killing two people in a basement but they do like yeah. having that realization like yeah. at I least may- with,
0: um uh, the mom chung Suk, and how they 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 keep bringing up the fact that you know oh she's not much of a good person she just kicked me down the stairs. Um, and that becomes sort of like the mantra at the end for her husband who's coming out and, you know, targeting these people who aren't good people. And, um, you know, it's a really exciting scene that is really the only, like that and the bashing of the, the Kevin's head are the only explicit scenes in this movie. The only real violence that you see on screen.
1: Yeah, because even, uh, when, uh... The housekeeper goes tumbling down the stairs, ass over tea kettle. We don't really see; we just hear a thud. You know, thud, yeah. you know the and actually, that-
0: it's a very you know how in uh, movies a lot of times, like the thuds and stuff are you know like meat getting punched. Yeah, like sound effects, Dolby sound effects and stuff. Um, this was not. This is a very realistic, just thud, like just a normal like a fist hitting a wall. That's that's what it would sound like to what I would assume, and uh, I initially thought she was just dead right there.
1: Yeah, no, I did too. I was kinda um, surprised for her to be like, I got a yeah, concussion and getting like, up and I'm like sorry you don't have concussion. a broken ankle and the wrist, you know.
0: Yeah. But uh yeah, so that that whole scene, you know, the stabbing and everything is great. But then you have um, you know, the father, Kim the father, who gets up and then instead of, you know, who you expect he's you know, really pissed at um Moon Guang's husband, he goes to stab um Park instead because Park does that same sniff test of um, rolling over Moongwang's husband, smelling, being disgusted
1: after he grabs the keys. Well, you forgot the part, too, where they're waiting in the bush dressed as Native Americans. <laughs> yeah, true, about Pop too. out to surprise, <laughs> to surprise, you know, his son with a little Native American ambush as the cake's being brought yeah. out. You know, the father's talking to uh, uh, the Park patriarch. And he's like, you're about to cross that line, don't cross that line, and just so you know, like, you're getting, getting paid, paid overtime, yeah. you know, so just do what you gotta do. Yeah, You know, like, it's not, like, he wasn't invited, like, oh, the, fa-, like, you know, yes, the employees and stuff, he's like, hey, you're getting yeah, your well, overtime, you're,
0: bud. Right, That that is, that's another, yeah, that's another thing, you're not, you're not here because you are just invited to the family party. Okay. You're not part of the family
1: party. Yeah, you're you part of the You're part. Party. essentially part of the act. Like, yeah. you're part of this, you know. Yeah. So, yeah That's because that, they, they make, you know, uh, her his daughter, you know, Jessica playing the art teacher, art therapist, like they have her. Like, no, no, come out and mm-hmm. you'll bring, the, you know, because it's part of his art therapy, you'll come out and bring the cake out. You'll get paid extra, too, you know. Yeah. Like, like, it's right in one of your days. and Yeah. Yeah.
0: um i th- I think that 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 culmination is really really great
1: so I also think job. too th- I also think too though um that he doesn't just attack park because of like the whole th- I think when he sees like his son's got his head smashed in. And the daughter that he's been tutoring is like hauling him off, you know, and his daughter's dying as he's like trying to compress like the wound and his wife's about to get stabbed and Park's just standing there like, we got to get my son who only fainted. Yeah. You yeah. know, not yeah. no no not mortally wounded or anything. He just fainted. and He's like, yep. throw me the keys so we can get in the car and take not, him to not the emergency only that, room. Trump
0: Suk is fighting off a of
1: knife wielding. Yeah, men. he's like they haven't even <laughs> they haven't, like, haven't even dealt with that yet. No, my son, I think the fact that yeah. he's like seeing like he's like yeah, as good. nice as they be like he's he, they oh, only do fucking not care yeah, yeah. they're all, they only fucking care about you know and literally no one at the party did care yeah no one. <laughs> they just ran away. Yeah. I bet the people who are playing the, the cello and bass are just sitting there, like, you know, dun 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 dun, you know, like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, playing it's, like a... it's, it's, uh, that's
0: an, another great moment where you see that, that, um, divisiveness between the two where, you know, all they want to do, it literally doesn't even matter that someone's being murdered in front of them. We need to get my son to safety. Uh, that's, that's the only thing that matters for them. Um, another really great So movie. I think
1: that, I you know, yeah. I, I, I like that touch of, like, that's like, you know, like, showing, like, you know, yeah. you don't give a damn, I don't, you know, fine, I'm only gonna give a shit about, you know, what to do for my family, you know. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, I think I had, let's see, did I have one other thing? Oh, yes, um, so at the end of the movie, um, we find out that, um, the, Kim, the father, has been living in the, uh, obviously, the basement of the house um, after he kind of retreated there after killing um, Park, and he has been doing um, Morse code with the lights uh, to try to write a letter to his son, and his son actually finds his Morse code and writes it out and figures out what he's been saying to him, and then he decides to write a letter back to his dad saying that he's going to make a lot of money buy the house back, and then they'll all live happily ever after. And that's pretty much how it ends. And the only thing that you see is it shifts away from present time to uh, what you would call a, I guess you would call a wish-fulfillment future, where you see,
1: Kevin... You almost say it's... Uh... Neurosis at that right, point, right?
0: Right. Because yeah, he also has brain
1: damage. Yeah, I was you because you almost say like everything that happens after the hospital is him just in his yeah, own little right. happy world after getting yeah. his brain smashed. The, and the only
0: thing that you can really, you can't really trust him it, as a narrator because yeah, it, it comes back to him writing the letter, and so you can kind of estimate that that never happened. Yeah. You know, that's not going to happen in the future. So, what do you make of that? That it ends with him writing that letter and saying at the end, "You know, I'm going to make a lot of money." I, I think he's house. saying in his
1: head, I, "I don't think it happened."
0: Right. No. And I, 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 even, even without thinking of whether it happened or not, like, what do you make of, of, um, Pong Joon-ho ending the film with that, with that letter saying, I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to buy that house. Back. Well, cause
1: that's like the idea that you, you know, you're always told again, that goes back to like what we were talking about before. Like, you know, um, like if you just work hard and not like, you know, that's why you hear people all the time, bitching them. But like I said, bitching about people on food stamps. Why don't you have a job? Why aren't you working hard? If you got a job and worked hard you know, we laughed about a meme we saw the other day, you know, of like, this is Jerry. He has no job and he's just leeching off the system. This guy, he's works 10 hours a day and he earns that 50 grand. And the CEO has been working nine, you know, 20, hours, 23 hours a day, never sleeps. And that's why he's got, you know, seven billion dollars because he just pulled himself up by the bootstraps and kept working hard, yep. working harder than everyone else. Mm hmm. Again, not everyone can do that. Yeah. You can't have, it, especially in a capitalist society, you can't have everybody be that. It's impossible. Resources are finite. Yeah. I think Not everyone can be Jeff Bezos. So I think the idea, like, yeah, it's like what he's telling himself he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Is he going to do it? No. Yeah. Because, again, what did he do throughout this film to improve his situation? If anything, him and his mom are now fucked even more because they were, you know, tried for crimes. Luckily, only got probation out of, you know, forgery and all these other things. Yeah. But now he's, you know, they're, they're technically convicts. And if you know anything about Ameri- being here in America... Being a convict, not really ever going to get you, um, you're you're basically fucked. Yeah. You know, unless you somehow become a a successful entrepreneur, your opportunities are greatly stunted because of that. So his chances of ever, you know, achieving what his new goal now are slim to none. But But it's it's, it's, like you said, if you tie that into what I just said, that's great commentary. I found it. As, you know, as though
0: Peng Jun ho was writing it as sarcasm in that, like, yes. yes, this is, this is exactly, you know, everybody could just write it and do it. And you write it down and you do it. And, you know, as they've shown throughout the entirety of Parasite, you know, that's definitely not something that can, you, it just is impossible. Even the people that did work hard, you know, what did they, where did they get them? That poor cab driver. Uh, he was handsome and good looking, too. <laughs> yeah, fired. Um, and so I, I found it to just be like a nice sarcasm, a bleak ending to end it on, in that you know that that's not the future for.
1: A the happy games. ending would have done this film a great disservice.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I do like how the film sort of morphs, and it's a black comedy for, for a particular span of time, but there is a point towards the end where it gets extremely serious. And sort of switches off from that black comedy and gets quite a bit more serious than, you know, it has been throughout the film. Um, you can really feel that sort of shift, um, which I think works. I, I, I love a, dark, a bad ending, like a, you know, bleak ending. I love those. So
1: it's more realistic to me. Then yeah, that. We, thought, really we talked we talked about that in the podcast. I do like some even like it staying like even like some of the bleakest moments of them having like little humor. Even after the daughter's been stabbed, she's like, "Dad, can you stop pushing so hard? It yeah. hurts even more." Yeah, And she's you know lying there bleeding out and dying, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like it's like a nice little funny line. Yeah. You know?
0: Do you um? Do you like your nipple twisted clockwise or counterclockwise? I like, it's both. I, like I don't know if I've ever thought about it. Like I didn't. Well, when you are rich, you get like, to think about what? it.
1: Like like no. I guess
0: maybe it, like one thing that I do find I think parasite is meant to make you feel like their relationship, the, the Parks relationship, is sort of stilted, like they don't have a great relationship together, and so that's why you know that whole scenario with them having sex is a little. Um, it's is thrown in there because – and how Kim keeps bringing up the fact that,
1: well, at least he loves his wife, right?
0: And um, I don't know that Parasite goes that far
1: with that. It did, I never... al- it did almost seem like at that point when they were talking in the cab about that, like it might almost be like maybe he's got a mistress on the side or right. something. Yeah. yeah, I just felt but like – But never, they never delve into that. It didn't so. go as
0: far as I would like it to have with that because – Sure, you can make that assumption, but there's really no
1: um, proof or anything that. No, I think for the most, I I, I think for the most part, their relationship fine. I don't really think it could it very well. Like a lot of this, like again, like as we've been talking about, like some of the things they have. It's all veneer, mm-hmm. so you could gain that, but I don't think either way if you gleamed that their relationships a facade or not, that it would add anything to the film.
0: Yeah. I, I felt like maybe that that whole sex scene was supposed to be like they don't really know each other that well. Was and it so wasn't even
1: sex. It was just foreplay.
0: Oh, yeah. It was, actually. they we didn't really see. Could, couldn't really get down and dirty with uh, just a hand, the possibility just that a, some hands run out. But, um, yeah, I don't know. They were really, around in third, but they couldn't get home because the kid really, was out in his fucking tent. I never really thought about the nipple twist <laughs> too much, but um,
1: I, it's what that is, I don't know. I did like that line though, just because it's just like, like, I don't, like you know. Like, not only that,
0: but the whole nipple feeling was sort of like out of nowhere. He just really like, not even a out nowhere, of nowhere, just boob, com, you know, just, just com, yeah, straight just, to the nipple. And yeah, it's like, boom. Must be, yeah, you know what? Maybe that's supposed to solidify the relationship. He knows what she likes, and he's just gonna get right down to it. The nipple twist. I don't know um, I think that's all I got. That's all the uh, that's all my notes over here. Do you have anything to add about the film D- that we didn't talk about yet? That's about it. I think we think we covered quite a bit in very high critical fashion. Rare props on the back to us. Boop, boop. Red took all my points for Vox. Uh, okay, so we got a rate Parasite. Um, so, ooh, on a scale of 1 to 10 foofy dogs, because this film has 3 foofy dogs, one's even named, like, Foof foofy, foofy, something like that.
1: Fununu, focacu, I know, like, one's like a poodle, one's a, like a spaniel, yeah. and what, I don't know, I don't, Pomeranian, Yes, po- like yes. One, Pomeranian, mm-hmm. yeah, the, and her, the name is Foof
0: it's not foo foo, even though the subtitle said it was foo foo, but it's like the way they pronounce it's like foo foo. I don't know. But on a scale of foo- three foofy dogs, out of scale of uh, ten, I guess I'll say ten foofy dogs. What would you give Parasite?
1: I'd give it a nine. Uh, it's a really good film. Uh, more, I'm kind of thinking about now. The more it's growing, definitely liked it a lot. Um, was it the best film of the year? Honestly, I think it's the only. One that got nominated that we watched in Marriage Story. Yeah, Marriage Story was nominated, right? Yes. So, I mean, I didn't really watch that many uh, Academy-nominated films this year. But I think it's very good. For a a two-and-a-half-hour film, it's, as Ryan said right in the beginning of the podcast, it seems frenetic and kinetic, but it's definitely got a very, I wouldn't say slow, but deliberate pace because everything just kind of like just goes and goes and the further on you go on the go throughout the film it just builds and builds and the pace picks up picks up and picks up I think a lot of the themes in the film are definitely resonant if you have ever been a middle class lower class person or ever even lived in some form of poverty um, definitely resonate with not just the United States or what life's like in South Korea now, I think it resonates. It's told in a way that can resonate with everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you've lived in that kind of situation and despite what some people think, that's most of us, that's 95% of us. That's what we're living. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think most people, you can glean something from that. And I think even though as rich as it is in its themes and motifs, um, it's definitely not hitting you on the head with it. You know, I think, even if you were the biggest dullard in the world and watched your films only for the s- sake of being a popcorn film, you could watch this film and gleam things at surface value and enjoy the film. It's well shot, even if you don't you know like reading foreign watching foreign films because they have a different language. This film is greatly well acted. Everyone in here is delightful, very uh believable. And very emotional, especially the father. He has great facial reactions when you see, you know, foreground, background shots of him in the parks, you know, and like reacting to what they're saying about them. It's just a great, this is a great film. I, the hype that I could, going into this, it's well-deserved. Definitely, you know, I would say probably one of the best films I've seen in the past like five years. Mm. Yeah, I
0: would give it a nine uh, as well. Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good movie. The way it moves through uh, various themes and ideas um, throughout, I thought was outstanding. Uh, really creative. I love the, the whole peach fuzz thing that they, they bring up. That's just a really weird detail that sticks out in this movie. Um, and I really like the characterization that it goes into it um, and the changes that, you, that go, come over you as you watch it. and you, The way that you feel about the Kims and the Parks um, sort of shifts over time and you really don't know exactly who to be rooting for or against, um, that works really well. I think the, the theme itself is something that we really needed to see, um, especially, you know, South Korea, For I, I, I don't know. I don't really know the culture that well for South Korea. Uh, I assume from what I've seen in this movie, yes, they, they needed this movie just as much as America needs this movie. Um, and, you know, what we've seen in the past uh, few years politically, um, the climate, is, uh, you know, something that it, we needed to talk about. And I think Parasite was the perfect movie to do that with its themes. And um, you're right, you know, you really don't need to watch this movie and, and, and think about it critically. Um, and you can still, you know, understand the elements that are going into it and what's happening and why, you know, the why there is drama in the movie. But if you're looking at it critically, it has a lot of nuance to it that, you can break down with its metaphors and symbolism. Um you know, it there's a, just a lot going on that gives it depth that, you know, some other films are lacking. So it's a really really good movie. Um you know, it it's one of those movies too that is um dramatic and, and still fun. Like I found this movie it's so you can watch movies sometimes. I'm thinking of Revolutionary Road, which I don't know if you've ever seen that with um Leonardo DiCaprio. No. Um that was a movie that I watched and ended up liking it, but I did not have fun in watching it at all. Like, and, and throughout most of the movie, I did not like the movie. I was like, this movie is fucking boring. This movie is boring. And then at the end of it, you were like, oh, that was a good movie. That's a movie that I would call not fun to watch, but still you like that movie. Parasite is a movie that's fun to watch and also a really good movie that, you know, has everything to it. And so... That's really important to me, you know, when watching the film. So this is a, a – the film is great. Um, like you, I didn't see a whole lot of Academy Award-nominated films this year. Um, not, I don't normally anyway, but um, this year – You know, especially, you would think I would have, you know, what with Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in America. and um, Scorsese, the Irishman. Yeah, I didn't watch that Yeah, I'm
1: ashamed I haven't seen him yet either, but every time I'm like, three and a half hours for the Irishman. Yeah, right, right. Three Um, three hours for Once Upon a Time.
0: Yeah. I'm surprised that I haven't seen those, but I, I didn't see a lot of them, but Parasite. Easily one of the best films that I've seen this year.
1: Tarantino and Scorsese need to get together and decide like not to release films during don't the same together. Year. yeah. Because they're both like, you know... Uh, to be honest with you, has I, I know Scorsese's only won one Best Picture, and that was for The Departed. He never won for Goodfellas or anything else. Yeah. And he's been nominated several times. I think Tarantino's never won Best Picture either. Mm, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. So, yeah. You think one of these days, like Scorsese, like yeah, gonna get it one of these days, gonna get it again, you know? But <laughs> he probably doesn't care. I, I think see it, him not caring. No. But and, and we didn't really talk about too. This film is great with its uh photography too. So oh talk, yeah, yeah. The, and it's I talked the, a little bit about the and it's symbolic too. Like I think like the main one of the main like uh, well not just the stairs, but also like when you like everything in the Park household is shot big open vast wide like all this space and then when you see like the kim's sub basement it's meant to really feel cramped, you know and small and crowded in, the, you know under yes yeah so like it has a lot like if you're uh, somebody who's really into the way films are shot this one has a lot of great angles yeah. and interesting color palettes that you know yeah cinematography yes s- being symmetrical too
0: with the with the parks house and very busy yes. with the, the Kim's as well. So yeah. 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 Really interesting. Uh, next time, what are we, uh, what are we doing? Are we going to try to do Harley Quinn or back to the shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, we did, we did, we, we did our... be kind of fun at some point. And I don't know when that we do once upon a time in the West. And then once upon a time in America as a boop, boop back to back. We can do that. That'd be kinda of fun. I'm not yeah. saying we should do it next time or anything like that, but I'm
1: saying like Are you ready to commit eight hours? Well, yeah. In total hey, over uh, the course of two episodes. Well, yeah. I was gonna say Once Upon a Time in the West is three hours. Yeah. It's happened, once upon a time in America I think is like four and a half hours. No, it's not that long. Director's code is. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, no, I I was
0: just saying like we could do that at some point. That would that would be fun. Um I'm not saying we do that next week. Or next time. I think we probably will try to do Harley Quinn if it's still in theaters and if we can still catch it. So, yeah. Back to... I'm not gonna say shit because I don't wanna... I don't wanna pre-bias myself. To no, it's baby. shit. But, um, I can tell you that I'm... What I'm bi- basing my bias on is Suicide Squad. So, if it's anything like Suicide Squad,
1: I am not gonna be impressed. So. I just want them to like stop parading her around in like hot pants like stop I think they tried to
0: do that I tried to, they tried to do that a little less in this one
1: I believe I know but it just looks stupid like like stop no hot pants and This looks stupid I know like it would probably kind of look stupid in like uh, like how they shoot these to be realistic with her like wearing her like harlequin suit but that to be you know looks cool I like that you know Her parading around in hot pants and leather jacket is fucking retarded yeah.
0: All right, so we'll be back in two weeks with we the Harley Quinn movie if we can see it in theaters. Um, thank you for listening to us ramble about Parasite. Uh, we are, as always, on pretty much any podcast app that you can think of. We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, pretty much anything. So subscribe to us. Leave us a nice review. Uh, we are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blood and Black We are on Twitter at Blood and Black Rum. Uh, we have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. And you can donate to us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast. And if none of those links work for you or you don't remember it, just go on Facebook, Twitter, or Patreon and search Blood and Black Podcast, and you will find us there. Thanks for listening. Uh, we hope to see you back next time for our um, our next episode in two weeks. And until then, take care.